Wow, I look at all these prayer requests up here and burdens and say, God, thank you that you're never overwhelmed, right? Uh, and, and some of you remember Bruce Almighty when he, he thinks he can try to be God for a little bit, remember that? And he's like totally overwhelmed to think that we have a God who never gets tired or weary. He, he never sleeps or slumbers and he cares for us so we can cast our cares on him. So aren't you grateful for such a great father and, and savior Jesus, Holy Spirit? Let's just commit these to him. Jesus, thank you that you invited us. You said you can come and, and ask your father for good gifts and, and he'll give. Lord, we don't always know what's good. From your perspective, you see things that we cannot. But we just offer all of these burdens and cares and concerns to you. And I'm sure there are many more left unexpressed on paper, but thank you, Lord, that you see into our hearts, and so right now we lift these up to you and pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that you are going to be with us on the journey ahead. Thank you that you write the final chapter. Thank you that we can trust you, and you've shown your faithfulness over and over again. What a good God you are. Lord, on the topic for today that we're going to talk about, would you give us understanding wherever we need to adjust or grow that you give us uh, the willingness to, to say yes to you. And so we pray that you would just teach us by your word now, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so sometimes in the whitewater of culture, there are, we begin to see a culture that veers away from the ways of God, and you wonder, how do I respond? So I want to give two scenarios, and I want us to talk today about how do you respond when people dishonor Jesus and they go a totally different direction. So scenario number one, you're, you're, you've got a colleague at work, and, and, and you work together well, and you respect them, and things are going all right, and stuff like that, and then you're talking to them one day over lunch, and they tell you that on the weekends they do drag like stories for kids at the library. And you're like, wow. And then you continue asking a couple questions and you realize we are like on two totally different pages. But they're your colleague. How do you respond to that person? How does it impact your relationship? Should it? Scenario number two. You're at a small group Bible study. You're bunch of married couples are talking about, you know, how to apply God's word to their life. And you become friends with them, and you really enjoy this group. And one day, this couple talks to you afterward, and they go, hey, can we just chat with you for a second? You guys have, like, a marriage we really admire, and we're just, we're wrestling with something. So they begin to talk, and, and you say, well, what's, what's happening? And, and, and the guy goes, well, you can go first. And she goes, well, he, he looks at porn a lot. And I've told him how hurtful that is to me. He sees nothing wrong with it. And he goes, yeah, I, I frankly don't. I think she just needs to deal with it. That's who I am. That's the way, you know, that's what I do. How does your relationship change with that guy if he's unwilling to make a turn from his behavior? It might surprise you that the Bible... And talking about these two scenarios 
a person in your workplace who does not claim to be a follower of Christ, and they do kind of behavior that you're like, wow, that, that would not, and the person who does claim to be a follower of Christ and has behavior that you'd go, I, I don't agree with that either, that the Bible tells us to distinguish the way we respond in those two situations. And it might surprise you. So let's take a look, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and see what the scriptures say. If you don't have a paper Bible with you, you're welcome to open up your Bible app on your phone. If you don't have that, over 500 million downloads, and it is a great app. Lots of languages, translations, and it's free. Those of you engaging online, really glad to have you with us. You're in all kinds of different places. And, uh, and then guys at Lorraine Correctional, our friends at uh, Olmstead Falls, we love you. And uh, thanks for joining with us today. Here is a situation in Corinth, a thriving cosmopolitan port city in Greece. Uh, you'll see this on the map uh, where it's located. And Paul is writing to believers in Corinth. He's writing from Ephesus, a few hundred miles to the east in modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to these believers. And the Christians in Corinth, he knew, were facing a culture that was far from God's desire uh, for what he wants people, the way he wants people to live. And so you had unbelievers and believers, and the believers found it very difficult because they're going like, wow, like, uh, like our culture is like this, and we're trying to follow the way of Jesus, and what do we do in this scenario? And, and some people in the church began to live like people in the culture, and so Paul is responding to them and saying, well, let me give you some input and wisdom, and here's how a believer in Jesus responds. And so first, in here in 1 Corinthians 5, he talks about how do you respond to this guy over here who tells his wife, hey, that's what I do. I look at porn, deal with it, I'm not going to change. Paul tells us what to do. Here's what he says in verse 1. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you're proud. Shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Let's just pause right there. Guy's been sleeping with his stepmom. And people know it, and nobody calls him on it. And Paul's not having it. So he tells him a couple of things. He says, first of all, he goes, I want you to feel the grief of sin when other followers of Jesus like blatantly transgress the boundary lines. See what he says in verse two? He goes, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? He's, he's going, I want you to feel the weight, the, the hurt of, of sin. It's our first response. Like when you hear something, you, you don't go like, that's ridiculous. Or I mean, he goes, I want you to mourn. You just go, oh God, I can't. Why? First, because sin dishonors Jesus. You remember the time when Jesus in his earthly ministries, looks out over the city of Jerusalem. He's probably on a hillside. He looks out over it, and, and his heart breaks, and he actually cries. He grieves because he says, wow, he tells how I wish that the people of this city would have responded to me and, and followed me, and, and they didn't. And it, it grieves him. Ephesians chapter 4 
it says this, that, that if we allow for there to be like anger and bitterness in our hearts, that, that we grieve whom? The Holy Spirit, yeah. We grieve the Holy Spirit. So God's not some kind of a distant being who goes, oh, wait, Jonathan Schaefer, I think I remember that name. No, 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 no. He, he knows me and he knows you. And he sees everything. He knows every word that I speak. He sees every thought that I think. He sees every screen that I look at. He, he goes to every place that I go. When we say things like, hey, Jesus, we, we quote the promise. He goes, I'm going to be with you always. Off of that's an encouragement like you're not going, you're never in the emergency room alone, he's with you. You're never in a crisis alone, he's you're never in the car alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's always with you. But you know what that also means? That means in the time that we think what we're doing in private, that God is somehow like busy with the rest of the world going on and what's happening, you know, in war. And, you know, he sees. He sees, and, and my, my misbehavior, my wrongdoing, my sin, Things that I know that are dishonoring to him, they, they grieve, his heart, grieve his heart. And so Paul goes, when you know something is happening, you got this guy going, that's what I do. He goes, that ought to cause grief in your soul. You should mourn over that. What it's doing to him, to his marriage, to the larger body. But he goes on, and, and I think there's another thing we, we can say is that sin damages other people, Right? There's a, a lie from Satan that he wants us desperately to believe, and a lot of us take the bait. I know I have, where he can say this. He'll go, you know what? It doesn't really matter what. I mean, you can do this little thing. Nobody's going to know. It's not going to impact other people. You know, you tell this lie. You cheat on your taxes. You look at this. You know, you shouldn't be. But it's not going to hurt anybody, and you can just do it, and it's, it's okay. Absolutely not true. My sin always, always has a broader impact than my life alone. For one thing, I, I clog up my spiritual arteries so that the Spirit of God cannot flow through me as He desires. I'm not the husband I should be to Mary. I'm not the father I should be to my kids. I'm not the pastor I should be to, I'm not the teammate I should be because I've got this guilt stuff going on and even if I don't have guilt, I'm just diminished as the person that God wants to make me to be. My sin, your sin, always impacts the people around you, always. A couple of examples. Back in the book of Joshua, you might remember the story of a guy named Achan. We never use that word Achan. You, you, you read the Bible sometimes, you go, why is no one ever called Jezebel or Achan? Because they're the kind of people we don't want to follow their example. So Israel is told to go in and take over this city called Jericho, and God says, but I don't want you to take any of their possessions. I want you to destroy it all. But Achan goes in and he goes, you know what? No one's going to know if I just take a little bit of silver or gold. You know, I'll, I'll even tithe off of that maybe. It's maybe what he's thinking in his head. So he takes some of that, some of the clothing, he buries it in his tent, and what happens? God sees God knows. And 37 people die as a result of what Achan did. My sin always affects the people around me. You go, that's the Old Testament. What about the New? Hebrews chapter 12 says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and defiles, how, what? Many. In other words, if I allow unforgiveness in my soul, I'm like, I am so ticked off with that person. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to. That grows like a cancer in my soul. And it, 
and it begins to, and it, and it defiles a lot of people around me. My sin grieves the heart of God and it damages the people around me, always. Paul says, you gotta deal with this among people who call themselves followers of Jesus. So he says, I want you to grieve, and then he goes on and he says, I want you to gently confront fellow believers over this kind of unrepentant pattern of sin. Look at verse two again. He says, shouldn't you have been rather filled with grief, and and then this, have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this. Let's just break that down a second, because this can be confusing. First, how do you do it, and then why? How? You don't tread into this stuff lightly. You ask Jesus, Lord, I need your presence and your power. He says, do it in his name. Like you're, you're, an, you're a representative of Jesus. That's what Paul says. And because this man was unwilling to change, Paul says, you need to put him out of the fellowship. You can't pretend like nothing is wrong. Now note a couple of things here. First of all, it was a pattern of sin. Like this guy was doing this over and over again and there's no desire to change. That's key. We're not looking to be a church family. We're like the moral, spiritual police, you know? And we're like, I saw that person speed down the highway yesterday. They're going six miles an hour with the speed limit out of the church. We don't want you at Grace Church anymore, you know? Or I saw him lose his temper, you know, at the volleyball game and he doesn't deserve to be. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying when there's an egregious kind of behavior that is ongoing and then you talk to the person, they go, I don't give a rip what you say. I'm just going to do this. I don't care how many people it hurts. He goes, you can't pretend like everything is okay. One more piece of advice that Paul gives us in another place, how to confront someone in Galatians chapter 6. I think this is just so important. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should, the goal is what? To restore that person how? Gently. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness. So you have a conversation about a person's behavior. The goal is to restore, and you do it with gentleness. So you might wonder, you might go, So does that happen at Grace Church? Yeah, it does. It does. Most often it's sort of organic. It's on a personal level. It's like the small group situation I mentioned where maybe I'm in the small group and I pull the guy aside and say, hey, can we do coffee together? I want to talk about this more. And you you have a conversation. Sometimes it's a ministry leader who says, everyone sees the behavior. They're like, wow, this person continually loses their temper or they you know, they're really abrasive or whatever it may be and, uh, or there's something else going on, egregious, and they go, hey, can we, can we chat about this? Sometimes it goes to church leaders. If it's something that happened to me and you're like, well, who's going to talk to Jonathan? We have a group of elders here. I put their names in, the, um, in your notes today for the message notes and, and I, I'm accountable to them that they could speak into my life. Anybody could speak into my life, but they in particular uh, maybe would say we would do this and the goal is to do it gently and to restore and to say, Jesus has something better for you than this. Let me give an example. Imagine that you're, um, you're driving with somebody and you're heading downtown, you're going to a Guardians game, who are in first place, I'm just gonna mention it on the side, uh, and 
and, and you're driving, and they, they, they need to pull onto the highway, and they pull into the wrong side. Like they pull into the exit ramp, where there's always those red signs that say what? Very glaringly, like wrong way, which sometimes look like when you're going the right way, they're too much close to your side. I'm like, you know, I'm getting all angsty and everything. So let's say they actually go the wrong way. Do you say, I, to say anything would be very judgmental. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, this would be very awkward for me to tell them that they're going the wrong way. I'm just gonna let it play out, see what happens here. That would be really what? Dumb, devastating, like pick your word, right? You see someone going the wrong way, depends on the urgency of the matter, but you're going, hey, time out a second here. Can you just pull over real fast? I think we're going the wrong way on the, on the highway here. And this could have tragic consequences. It's the same when you see someone in life that you go, hey, can we chat a second here? I, I love you too much not to, like if I didn't really care about you, I would just let it go, right? But I really care about you and I care about the people around you and I love you too much not to say something that I'm seeing something happening here and, um, and I'm afraid that if you continue on here, there's gonna be some really devastating consequences to your behavior. It's not because you're angry with the person or you're embarrassed or whatever. It's for the long-term benefit of the person who's heading the wrong direction, right? That's, that's what we do. If, if somebody, okay, embarrassing situation here, right? I've had times I've stood up here and I've got something hanging out of my nose or, you know, something's not right. And if people were like, well, I saw it, but I'm not gonna say something, right? I, I would be like, man, I want you to care enough about me to, right, to just tell me something. If you saw me doing some kind of behavior, as well, not just something about my physical appearance, but you'd say, Jonathan, I, I, I care about you enough to, if you didn't say something, I'd question how much you loved me, right? And so Paul says here in verse five, he, he tells us the reason, he says, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Like you're saying, God, I, I want him to just be, I want them to be all in with you. I want there to be no question. The goal is always restoration motivated by love. Now in this situation right here, and in every situation, so thankful that, that, that restoration is possible, right? That God is so gracious, he's never like, you know what, that's one time too many, you're out. No, he welcomes us back. We're like this group in an emergency room and we got all these broken bones and torn ligaments and gashes spiritually and God goes, I'm so glad you came. I'm the healer. I'm the restorer. And I wanna bring healing to your life and you know what happens in this situation right here. If you turn over several pages to 2 Corinthians chapter two, the people here, they follow through on what Paul says. They mourn, they grieve, they put up boundaries, they challenge this guy and the guy Responds in brokenness. Second Corinthians chapter two, here's what he says in verse seven. He says, now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort this guy. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement, so I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. So it comes full circle. And uh, you can read the next few verses. The guy is pulled out of the ditch. He's restored so it can work. And we've seen it happen here at Grace. 
Lots of times where a person would go, you know what, thank you for talking to me about that. I didn't take it very well at first. I was sort of angry with you. But I realize now you, you really cared about me enough to, to say something. And, and, and you made a difference in my life. I don't know if you guys uh, help me out with the slides here. Have the verse from James chapter 5. But let me just read what James says. He says this, James 5 verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters... If someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So when you're the person who goes, all right, Lord, I don't feel very confident here. This is sort of messy. But you're willing to step into that situation and go, I care about you. And can I just, can I, can I share what I'm seeing right now? And, 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 and when you do that, he goes, wow, you can make a huge impact. Bring them back, spare them from death, and allow the forgiveness of many sins. All right. Paul says, I want you to mourn over sin that you see among believers, and I want you to gently confront it. Now, back in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, the next paragraph here, verses 6 to 8, Paul answers another question. And it says, how should we live in light of the seriousness of sin? Uh, here's what he says. A little bit confusing unless you're into like, you know, sourdough kind of bread and all the rest and stuff like that. But stick with me here and you'll see. Here's what he says in verse 6. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. All right, here, here's what it was all about. Back in the time when Israel, way back 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, they escaped from slavery in Egypt and you might remember it's called the Exodus. They come through the Red Sea, but they have this thing called the Passover. And they're rushing out and they're, you know, rushing. And, and so they have to make bread and they make it without yeast, unleavened bread. And, and so uh, they, they make this bread. They have the Passover lamb. We'll get to that in a second. And so from that point on, they would celebrate the Passover every year. And whenever they would do the Passover, they'd have any good Jewish home would ceremoniously make sure, they'd go through the house to make sure there wasn't a drop of yeast in the house. And that yeast, or leaven, represents sin, often in the Bible. So what Paul's telling me is going, when he's saying to get rid of any kind of yeast, and I want a new batch of dough, because otherwise it's going to spread. Here's what he's saying, treat sin seriously in your life. Get rid of any and all impurity in, in, in your life. Here's what he says in verse 6 again. He says, sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. In other words, sin is like, it, it creeps, it spreads, it's like a cancer. And if someone said, well, I, I have cancer, but they told me it's just limited to this little spot on my cheek. You go, is it malignant? They go, yeah. And can we just say sin is always malignant? And we say, it, it's not going to stay right there in your cheek. What's going to happen? It's going to begin to grow. Paul says that's what leaven does in bread or yeast. It, it begins to grow and, and permeate. And, and he, he says, you don't want that to happen. You, you've got to get rid of that in, in your life. 
So let's just take inventory for a second here. Um, in my life and in your life, is there any place where you're allowing a little bit of sin to be at home in your life? Where you'd go, well, nobody really, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and I don't think anybody knows about it except for maybe one or two people. Jesus sees it, and it's going to impact you negatively, and it's going to damage the people around you. And so I just want to tell you, out of love for you and out of love for the one who gave his life for you, deal with the sin in your life. Deal with it. Here's what Paul goes on to say here. He goes, I want you to remember the price that Jesus paid for your life. Verse 7, he goes, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He's, he's referring back to what happened in that exodus. Remember, they, they made the bread without yeast, and they also took a lamb, they, and they, they had lamb for dinner. And they took some of the blood, and they took the blood of that lamb, and they put it where? On the doorposts of their house, right? So that in the final plague, when the angel of death comes through Egypt... And every firstborn in every home, is their, their life is lost. And then the angel of death comes to the Jewish homes, sees the blood of the lamb on the doors, posts of the house. The angel of death did what? It passed over. And you were protected by the blood of the lamb. And Paul says, you know who your sacrifice, your, your Passover lamb is? He goes, your Passover lamb is Jesus. He actually gave his life. He shed his blood for you to be forgiven. He poured out his life to forgive you out of love for him and because you honor him. I want you to live with sincerity and truth and, and, and I, I don't want you to sacrifice again, as it says in Hebrews, the son of God. If you really get what Jesus has done for you, you go, I can't treat the blood of the Passover lamb lightly. And I need to treat sin seriously in my life. I need to confess it quickly. One final word from Paul here. Finishing up this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He answers the question we asked up at the beginning. And uh, about how do you deal with the blatant sin of a colleague at work? And how do you deal with the blatant sin of a person in your small group? Here's what Paul says. I'm going to read this. I usually read the New International Version. I'm reading the New Living Translation right now. Here's what he says, verse 9. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers, the person in your workplace, your neighbor, a family member. I wasn't talking about them who are unbelievers, who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. In other words, don't pretend like everything is just okay. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Here's what Paul is saying. 
It all comes down to this. Does the person claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ? In the case where there's a believer who's stubbornly refusing to change, like the guy in the small group, you talk to him and you go, you know what? My heart's breaking over what you're doing and what you're doing is damaging you, it's damaging your marriage, it's damaging your family. And I'm willing to walk with you to get help. There's recovery groups. We can chat through this one. And, but I can't pretend like everything is just okay. And maybe there's something like, you know, we talk about, you might say, well, what does it look like at Grace? We'll sometimes say, um, we'd like you to take a break from serving. Sort of like you're on the injured reserve. For us to let you just continue serving would be, you need to give attention to your own spiritual health. And so we're gonna be on the injured reserve for a while. We're gonna, or maybe here's some steps to take and that to, to help you get on the pathway. But if a person just insists, you just can't pretend like everything is okay when there's egregious patterns of unrepentant sin that are taking place. Paul says, I want you to take sin that seriously. How about for the unbeliever? You know what Paul says? He goes, you don't quit your job because that person's doing drag on the weekends. You don't say, I can't do lunch with you anymore. He goes, you'd have to leave the world if you, you know, said I'm not. He says, really, I, you're a light for these people. So have lunch together, watch the Browns, ask them how things are going, talk with them, and, and listen. And, and ask God for opportunities to talk about the hope that you have where they'll come to a place of saying, you have a peace in your life that I'm missing, a sense of purpose that I just feel like I, I, I need. And, and so you, you respond in, in that way, but Paul says you don't expect people who don't follow Christ, don't have the power of Jesus in them, you don't expect them to live like Christ, right? But people who have professed to be believers, you say, he has more for you than this. You've been rescued and saved and the Spirit of God lives in you and you're taking Jesus and the Holy Spirit into these activities that, that are, are, are crushing. Paul is saying this, he's going, when you're in the world, be a light. And when you're in the church, I want you to be a person of purity and I want you to help the church to be a place where more and more you're reflecting the way of Jesus. Restore, do it gently, but out of love for the one who gave his life for you and for the love of the people around you, don't let sin go unaddressed. Do we need wisdom in that? Is it messy sometimes? Do we sometimes make mistakes? Yes. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna invite you right now just to pray with me and let's ask him for his help today. So can, can we pray together here? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you gave your life as our Passover lamb. We bless you. You've taken sinful people like me and you've come and you've washed us and you've made us, you've given us a new start and you've put your Holy Spirit into our lives. And so Lord Jesus, we just offer ourselves to you once again and say have your way in us. Point out any areas where we've allowed sin to metastasize and we just invite you today to root that out. And God, for us as a body of believers, uh, those here who say, I, 
I'm not just on the way or investigating. I'm actually in the family. Like, I put my trust in Jesus. Lord, help us to love each other enough to gently say, I, I, I love you enough that I'm going to speak into your life. And help us to do it well. Help us to do it, Jesus, in your name and with your grace and gentleness. And we pray that there would be, uh, your name would be honored and that, uh, and that people would go, wow, that's a family that cares about each other. So have your way in us, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.